Francine, bringing you more reviews, recaps, and rants on all your favorite K-dramas. This is Drama Buds, an anime podcast. So hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of Drama Buds. Merry Christmas, happy holidays if you don't celebrate. Uh, we are in the week where time doesn't matter, <laughs> or time doesn't exist until January 1. So let's have fun, let's do our usual Q4 recap for all the dramas I watched from October to December. And honestly, it's kind of lackluster. I mean, when I look at the numbers, it's sad. Because <laughs> I felt like I watched more than usual, but... I will explain later. You will finally understand what's going on with this girl. Why isn't she watching K-dramas anymore? Later. That, that's for later. So, going to the numbers. In Q4, I watched 8 K-dramas. Of all the dramas released this year, I watched 17 of them. Actually, 6 of these are ongoing dramas that I finished. And in 2023, I watched 27 dramas all in all. And my all-time total is 143 K-dramas. So let's begin with a quick recap, and then I feel like, unfortunately, the K-pop part of this episode will be most of it. I apologize in advance. Okay, so I reviewed The Guest and Save Me for the special Halloween episodes last October. So if you want to hear my full thoughts on both of those dramas, they each have their own episode. And I did not finish any completed dramas since then. Like, I know I started the watch challenge, but unfortunately, things happened, life got busy, and yeah, I couldn't start anything or finish anything. I mean, the list is still there, and at any point, I'll start watching something, but... <laughs> You'll understand later. Anyway, so here are the ongoing dramas that I finished. I watched Daily Dose of Sunshine. I released uh, first impressions of the first half of that. And honestly, I think everything I said pretty much held up. Like, there was a bit of a lull, like, right after the midway point. Yeah, my my enjoyment of it kind of went down a little bit because it wasn't about individual different cases anymore of patients, but it was about Najong's personal struggle with uh, the, the patient that she lost. So yeah, the rhythm of the show that I enjoyed the most kind of changed after my first impressions. But I still felt like it was important to, to show that side of Dajong, of our protagonist, that when something tragic happens to even the most bright and cheery and mentally strong person, they can develop uh, a mental disorder. And especially coming from a mental health worker, like someone in the industry, which I loved how they touched on, yes, the people you know helping patients with their mental health may also face their own struggles. In the same way that we want people who have mental disorders to be able to return to society and you know, hopefully get better, but if that doesn't happen, to not only cope with their illness, but continue living and striving and working and having other goals and desires. I thought it was really important to showcase that in a mental health worker themselves. You know what I mean? That they're not immune to the things that they help others with. I think, yeah, someone with a personal investment in psychology and mental health, like, I really liked how they did everything. Although, hey, if anyone has other opinions on how they handled some of the topics, I'd love to hear it because, once again, not the expert here. But it was really a, a worthwhile experience, the whole drama itself. I rated it 8.5 out of 10. Next is My Dearest. Finally! Oh, finally we finished My Dearest. 
So remember my rant episode about it, which is actually my most listened to episode this year. And then I did the midpoint recap uh, for the first 10 episodes. And then we watched episodes 11 to 21. They, they extended it for one more episode because it was such a huge hit. Which honestly, that was a red flag to me. I, I really don't like it when, you know, they extend a show because usually they just add on whatever in the middle episodes to try to drag it out or write some separate ending that was not the best. And yeah, that's kind of what happened. I wouldn't say it's the worst ending. I mean, at least they didn't die. <laughs> so spoiler alert, they don't die. They do end up happy. But to get there, you have to slog through so much. I'd say the first half, of course, was much better than the second half. I think by episode 15 or 16, it had overstayed its welcome. By then, I was kind of done with the show and I just wanted to get it over with to just find out, yeah, do they die or not? The last fourth of the show really was dragging already. And here's the interesting thing. Originally, they had planned this for 30 episodes. The writer wanted 30 episodes. NBC said, way too much. No one's gonna watch 30 episodes nowadays. Cut it down to 20. And then they got an extension for 21. And so I was feeling like 20 episodes was too much. Maybe 16 would have been enough. But the writer wanted 30. And I wonder, would 30 have made it better? Or would they have just found even more convoluted ways to keep the leads apart? Because I wasn't enjoying <laughs> the way that they were kept apart anymore. Like at some point, yeah, angst is angst, whatever. And all the historical context that explains, you know, why Zhang Yun has to stay in... Ching or in Ximyang, why Gilche is imprisoned here or is kept as a slave there or can't be with Zhang Yun because she's sent back to Joseon or something. I didn't care anymore. <laughs> like at some point, I was done. And you know what? They committed a mortal sin. They committed it twice. They did two amnesia arcs. I mean, come on. Uh, you know that the writer is running out of ideas when they throw amnesia twice, okay? I, I can't defend it. I cannot defend it. I would still say that, you know, Chang Yun and Gilche had great character arcs. And in the last R, uh, in episode 21, that's when they revealed all of Chang Yun's backstory. And it was very cohesive with his entire character. Yes, yes, I can see that that was part of the plan all along. But yeah, to drag out the mystery of, of what really happened to him and his family and his daddy issues, which I called, by the way, I think from my rant episode, I already called that he had daddy issues. Yeah, despite it making sense and yeah, being integrated throughout his whole character arc, episode 21, really, it, it only had to come out then. Of course, Gilche, we don't need to talk about how much I love her. Like, I'll, I will spoil you for the year-end awards. Gilche is gonna win. <laughs> She's my best female character, hands down. Uh, no argument there. And yeah, I mean, I was happy that they ended up together and they did try their best to, you know, bring them together at the very end in a very poetic way. But you can clearly tell that this was filmed, I don't know, a day or two before the episode was aired. Ah, uh, I don't know. Nam Kung Min, despite having very successful dramas, seemed to have bad luck with production. I mean, if you remember, One Dollar Lawyer was cut down from 14 to 12 episodes. And despite how wildly successful his dramas are, for some reason, he just gets into very stressful productions. But I love him. My top actor of the year, I think. Sorry to spoil you again for the year-end awards. I'll, I'll think about that. But yeah, my dearest, despite the last fourth that I didn't really care to watch properly anymore, I'd still rate it an 8.5 out of 10 because of the whole thing and especially the first half of the show. A song for you. Hello, 
Quickly, I'll talk about Love Attack, which is a KBS drama special starring Chewon Bin and Kim Do Hoon. So Kim Do Hoon is Kang Hoon from Moving, and like I've had a, a, a little crush on him <laughs> since Moving. So yeah, he's on my radar a bit. It's a one-episode drama special, so it's it's really not that much. Uh, there's nothing I can say about it. Cute enough, wasn't fully paying attention. Just wanted to see Kim Do Hoon <laughs> tap dancing. <laughs> And he's a very good comedic actor, right? Despite his character in Moving, who's you know, very stoic, he's a great comedic actor. I'm looking forward to whatever he's doing next. I'm just a, a little baby crush on him. Oh, I'll keep my eye on this guy. Um, it was a 5.5 out of 10. I mean, I, I can't say anything about it. Okay, moving on to Castaway Diva. I posted first impressions of this. And okay, right after the midway point, it got so, so, so good. And we finally got the Kiho reveal. And yeah, I'd say this is the weakest second lead ever because you cannot fight against the history that Kiho and Mokha have with each other. Like that, that's untouchable, honestly. Sorry to spoil the awards again, but that's my couple of the year. I I, I love Kiho and Mokha so much. However, I don't know why it kind of fell off a, a little bit at some point. Not so much that I wouldn't want to finish it, but more like... Of course, it's going to be a happy ending. <laughs> I wasn't invested in how they got to it anymore. I think when they focus too much on the murderous father storyline, I think that's when uh, it just kind of turned me off. Because he was just uh, a scorned father who wanted to ruin the lives of his family. Um, That's it. I don't know why I expected more depth from him. But yeah, just a bad guy overall. Nothing more to be said about it. I've spoken about, you know, how I felt that Mokhao is a weak protagonist, and I think that's still true. I think, yeah, similar to Dalmi, I felt like the real uh, players in the game were, you know, Kiho, who was doing so much to help her and protect her and also protect his family. And Ranju was, was managing her career, producing her music, negotiating with the company and with everyone to, to help her career. Meanwhile, Mokhao was just, yeah, I'll come, I'll sing, I'll get this song that I want to release from this artist who didn't succeed and doesn't want to give it to her. Like, that's the most that she's really done for herself. But yeah, my feelings for her are similar-ish to my feelings for Dalmi in Startup where I felt like the people around her did more than she did to contribute to her success. And in general, I knew it was going to be average. And I was right. It was just average. So I rated it a 7.5 out of 10. And lastly, I watched soundtrack number 2. Which I'm surprised I really loved at the beginning. I mean, uh, we're doing Access to Lovers this time. I mentioned this in my lightning round uh, reviews from last last week. That I do not expect the highest caliber of writing <laughs> with these tropes and, and with the six-episode run. At least make it entertaining. And for the most part, it was, right? The push and pull of these exes who, you know, didn't understand each other, didn't communicate. I mean, of course, the conflict of her, you know, having these insecurities and being frustrated with him not being driven while she felt so desperate to succeed. And while she had carpal tunnel syndrome, she didn't tell him about it and just broke up with him. Of course, you could have communicated. But if they communicated, there wouldn't be a drama. So once again, not expecting the most uh, complex and deep <laughs> conflict from this drama. But they served on the angst. They served on the chemistry. Oh my god, the, the piano scene when they had the first kiss? Wow, wow, that's real intimacy. I haven't 
felt that way about a romantic scene in a long, long, long time. Like, props to Gumserok and No Sangyun. Like, they have really, really great chemistry. And yeah, everything was pretty much okay until the finale, which I was really frustrated with episode 6 because it was so, I mean, so rushed. And the pre-finale breakup was even more unbelievable than their first breakup. And the way they got back together was also unbelievable. What would possess this guy to read her email where she said that she wanted to take a trip alone and find herself and then he shows up at the airport and comes with her and, you know, uh, the, the symbolism is that she's allowing him to carry her baggage with her whereas she would always carry her problems alone, right? And so, in a way, allowing him to be with her in this journey is, yeah, her sharing the the pain and the burden and the labor with him and accepting help because she never accepted help before. But thinking about it in, you know, the way everything was building up to that final scene of them in the airport, why? 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 Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Ending sucked, but once again, wasn't expecting the best quality of writing in the first place. So the fact that I was entertained, the fact that they had chemistry, that's enough. Good enough for me, 7.5 out of 10. So moving on quickly to the ones I dropped. Twinkling Watermelon, I watched three episodes uh, while it was ongoing. And then, as usual, when I missed one week, and then I missed two and three and four, and when I tried to go back to it, I just couldn't do it. And then I saw what people were saying. I mean, a lot of people were enjoying it while it was ongoing. Others were not satisfied with the ending. I wouldn't know. But yeah, uh, maybe I'm not looking for a youth drama at the moment. And I'll lump these two together. My Demon, uh, three episodes, and Strong Girl Namsoon, eight episodes. Kind of, that's pretty impressive for me already. I lumped them together because, I mean, let's be real. Did we think I was going to get far with either of these? Like, who was I kidding when I said I wanted to continue both of these? Uh, no, no. Strong Girl Namsoon, yeah, we all knew that wasn't really going to be good. It was mildly entertaining for a while, but I was just there for Ong. But he's not enough to keep me watching that. And for My Demon, a lot of people are still enjoying it, so more power to you. I was watching it through the timeline already at some point, and I didn't feel the urge to catch up. So not an indication of its quality or how enjoyable it is. It's just, we know me. I, I really don't know who I was kidding by saying that I wanted to continue that. So maybe I'm not looking for something silly, comedic, romantic. Um, okay. And I also dropped, yes, I mentioned Welcome to Sandalry, two episodes in my lightning round episode. Uh, I'll wait for the reviews to finish. Uh, maybe someone will convince me that it's worth watching by the end of it, but... I'm also not looking for a small town, everyone knows each other, you know, everyone's bickering all the time and they all have their own lives and it's leaning comedic. I don't think I'm looking for that either. So what am I looking for? Okay, you may ask me, girl, what, what's going on? What are you even watching at this point? Uh, well, currently, I, I watched Death's Game. I watched all four episodes in basically one go. It's really well made. It's good. I don't know what to say. I really like Death's Game. Uh, I am a Soin Gok fan, even though I haven't really watched him in anything. I think he has the charisma. The eye for projects? Not so much. 
Park Sodam isn't showing herself as much here, but I think definitely in part two we'll see more of her. Oh, speaking of part two, what a ridiculous release schedule. Once again, they released four episodes in one go last week or two weeks ago, and then the rest of the eight episodes, so another four episodes on January 5. And I hate it because when I finished the first four episodes, I thought, um, hello, (laughs) I wish I could binge it. I wish I had it right now. Which is a good sign. That's a good thing, right? Instead of wishing that something were released more slowly because the pressure to watch it all in one go made it not enjoyable. So I'm glad that I feel this way instead of getting it all in one go and not finishing it. I guess good for them. The the release schedule kind of worked this time. Anyway, uh, yeah, fan of Song Gook. Want to see more of Park Sodam in second part? This is one of those mega casts this year, right? Aside from moving, which interestingly also has Goyun Jong. Loved her in this. Oh my god, guys. The Goyun Jong Idoyun enjoyer in me is so, so, so happy with episode four. They served angst, they served acting. Honestly, this whole thing is an acting party. Everyone's really killing it. I'm still waiting for Kim Jae Wook <laughs> in part two. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my big crush on Kim Jae-wook this year. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him. He looks like he's gonna be evil this time, which huh, is perfect. Perfect for Kim Jae-wook. Honestly, yes. If you haven't watched Death's Game, I suggest go pick it up right now. The next part is coming Jan 5. By then, we're all ready to go. And the only other K-drama I'm watching, or re-watching actually, is Hot Stove League. Uh, I just decided to pick it up last night because I'm just too tired to try something new and not know if it's going to be good or if I like it. And we really haven't seen, I don't know, workplace dramas like Hot Stove League in a long time. Whereas everything feels like a thriller or, you know, there's romance in it or there's crime. And I'm, I'm tired. I just want the workplace struggles again. I mean, hey. At least I'm not rewatching Missing or My Liberation Notes again, you know? At least I'm not rewatching something depressing. But for the longest time, I've wanted to rewatch Hot Stove League because it was in the iconic November 2020, you know, series of dramas that I watched that really made me fall for K dramas. And, you know, it, it just showed me a world of quality that I honestly haven't seen that much since. So yes, if anyone knows of uh, a workplace drama without romance, you know, th- uh, similar to yeah, Hot Stove League or On the Verge of Insanity or Missing, I just want workplace stuff. And no more romance, no more crime, no more murder. No, please. I just want people caring too much about their jobs, even if their job is just, you know, hiring an athlete, choosing the right uh, marketing campaign or endorser or something. Oh, I might try Agency? I, I think that doesn't have crime or murder in it. I've heard good things, so I might try Agency sometime soon. But for now, I'm rewatching Hot Stove League, and it's still as good as ever. And I love Nam Gung Min and Park Eun Bin and Che Jong Yop. <laughs> so I think it's really good every now and then to rewatch old stuff that you know you like, just to you know refresh the palate and remind yourself that you love K dramas and they are very very good if you find the right one. <laughs> Me, 
Okay, here we go. This is the main event. Um, if you're waiting for my usual other media segment where I have, you know, insights on the things I've watched, there's no other media. Okay, there's only K-pop. So if you're not a K-pop fan, you don't want to hear me talk about EXO and RISE, uh, you can just skip to the final thoughts. Okay, this is a one-time thing. I, I swear to you, the K-pop talk, one, one time. Only this time, I swear. But I just, I have to. You have to understand that this was my Q4, okay? It was RISE. <gasps> It's not that I've been hiding this side of me for the past three years that I've been talking on here. It's just that I haven't gotten back into K-pop. I haven't had like a group to seriously stand. I've been a casual for so long. Actually, my longest stand group is is EXO. I mean, Sarang Haja truly is life, okay? And so if you have not been living under a rock, EXO is back, baby. <laughs> In the most organic hit of the past decade, First Snow has achieved like 17 real-time all-kills in all of the charts in Korea. It has a viral dance challenge that everyone's doing. So First Snow was their song from their 2013 winter album. And I mean, it always trended every year whenever it would snow, but it never blew up the way it did now. And then you're gonna see other dance challenges of other EXO songs from, yeah, the early 2010s. And it's like, what's happening? Why is there an EXO renaissance? It's because their music is good, guys. I know this is a common phenomenon. That like, as an EXO stan, you don't listen to them for a few months and then one day you decide, you know what? I kind of miss EXO. I should listen to their stuff again. And then the more you listen, the more you realize, damn, that's why I was in the Sarang Haja lifestyle. Because the music was so good. And my history with EXO is that during debut, I was an anti. <laughs> I was a hater. Because in the EXO versus BAP Rookie War of 2012, I was so solid BAP that I hated on EXO. And then for some reason, right before Wolf Era, I just decided to give them a try. And yeah, 10 years later, we're still here. And I can't believe I have to like publicly say that, oh yeah, Wolf was the song that got me into EXO. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> but it, it is what it is. And then came Growl. And I don't know, man, like being there during EXO-EXO era, you just felt like they were on top of the world. And then, you know, of course, a lot of things happened. Um, but EXO truly, they are the roaches of K-pop. Like, you cannot bring them down. Like, even after, yeah, the major member losses and, and everything, then within two years, they come out with Call Me Baby and Love Me Right, which until now, I think, are two of the greatest K-pop title tracks. Every EXO comeback back then felt like an event. Like, when I listened to Call Me Baby for the first time in, yeah, in months, you know, going through their discography again, it, it just felt like the song itself was an event. And I remembered the MV, I remembered all their stages. Like, EXO was an event. They disrupted the K-pop scene every time they made a comeback. And yeah, eight years later, I can still listen to those songs and be like, I get why they disrupted everything. I tried ranking my favorite albums, and it's so difficult because I had to, you know, separate my nostalgia and like, do I just like the title tracks? I also want to take into account like the first title track and then the repackaged title. Like, how was that experience, you know, going from one song to the next? And then you also have to think of the B-sides, which, oh my God, guys, EXO B-sides. Oh, it's a treasure trove. I listed down like all the B-sides I liked from each album. Everyone at least has like three that I like, some that I love. Oh, and have we talked about the winter albums? EXO winter albums. Uh, what's, what's that tweet? Where it's like, there should be a law that tells EXO to make winter albums every year. No one can do it like them. I'll say though, title track-wise, it's very clear to me that my top three, which I cannot like rank them individually anymore. I'll just say my top three 
Call Me Baby, Love Me Right, Tempo. Oh my God. Tempo is one of those songs where it's so EXO that I don't think anyone else can pull it off. We XOLs haven't shut up about the Tempo Bridge in, I don't know, five years, okay? It's that good. And I feel like I have a bias uh, for the album Exodus, which had Call Me Baby, Love Me Right. I feel like I have a bias towards it because I was there during that era. I was so active. And Call Me Baby, Love Me Right is the only title track repackage duo that I can't choose between them. Because usually, okay, one by one, I would choose Growl over Wolf. I would choose Monster over Lucky One over Lotto. Well, okay, Coco Bob versus Power, genuinely, I'm sorry, the weakest <laughs> the weakest pair. I am a Coco Bob hater. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. I, I just hate it. So I like Power, but not by much. Power is a fun song. I would choose, obviously, Tempo over Love Shot. I'll also say I'm a Love Shot hater. I, I think I think Love Shot's overrated. I'll, I'll say it. But for Call Me Baby, Love Me Right, it's like, imagine choosing between those two. I, I could not. I could not. And that's why I don't. So yeah, I feel like this entire time, I had this bias towards the, the Exodus album because of how much I love Call Me Baby, Love Me Right. But then when I was looking at the, the B-sides, okay, I love El Dorado. Once again, so EXO, so quintessential EXO that no one else can do it. I also love Exodus. I like Playboy, but it stops there. I realize they have a lot of ballads in that album that I'm not super into. And also, okay, you will not catch me ever dunking on XOXO, the album. Uh, <laughs> I saw this tweet where people were like, why do Koreans love this album so much? One, because it revived the album industry. Like, it's the first million seller in like 12 years, right? And two, <laughs> they said it's because Korea didn't have a One Direction phase. They had the EXO phase at the time. And EXO was just making One Direction music. And to that, I say, EXO could make Heart Attack by One Direction. But One Direction could not make Heart Attack by EXO. <laughs> Get it right, okay? <laughs> I resent that. But also, I have to admit that like rating XOXO so highly feels not right. I feel like it's so clouded by nostalgia. And of course, that's my first era with him. But then as I was listing down the B-side, it's like, Don't Go, Peter Pan, XOXO, Lucky, Baby Don't Cry. I mean, in their first album, they were pulling out all the vocal stops. But you know what? I I'll say it. I think listening to all their albums again, I think their best album is Obsession. In terms of like B-sides, okay, Obsession as a title track, it's like, eh, it's, it's okay. It's conceptually very interesting, so different for them. But like personal favorite, not so much. But the B-sides though, as I was listing it down, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. Six out of what? There are only 10 songs. Two of those are Obsession and Obsession Chinese version. So we only have eight songs. And out of eight songs, I like six of them enough to list them down. It also has possibly my favorite B-side of theirs, Butterfly Effect. Oh, you have to listen to Butterfly Effect by EXO. I don't know. They just have these songs that sound very magical. One that I listened to for the first time in maybe years today. Angel from the debut mini album. Another underrated era or album is Overdose. Like, obviously, disaster era, very miserable. We hate that person. But Overdose as a title track, underrated as hell. And then we have B-sides like Moonlight, Thunder, Love, Love, Love. I mean, Run is the only one left. <laughs> but uh, whatever. It's decent enough. It fits musically into the mini. It's 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 perfect. Overdose is perfect. Uh, other standout songs. Um, She's Dreaming from Exact. Another one of those like floating in the clouds, magic songs. And okay, jumping to their winter albums. My favorite is Universe. Ah, I think it's celebrating its uh, sixth anniversary today as I'm recording it. So yeah, 
all the songs. I think a perfect run. I think I like all of the songs there. Also, Don't Fight the Feeling as uh, a mini, as a special album, was also paid dust. Like, why do people hate Don't Fight the Feeling? Why Why do you guys hate fun? Because all of those songs are good. Just as usual, Paradise, No Matter, Runaway, they're all good, guys. We are always blessed with good music. Uh, recently, what did I feel about Exist? Well, I'm just glad it happened. <laughs> I'm just glad we got an EXO album. And among the three title tracks that they released, I'd say Let Me In, Over Hear Me Out, Over Cream Soda. I didn't like Cream Soda all that much. And the B-sides, they were okay. I like No Makeup, uh, Love Fool, Another Day. Uh, but the others kind of, uh, they're fine. My least favorite album is The War. The Coco Bop Power era, yeah, really wasn't my fave. But they still have good songs. I-, I can never say their albums are bad. It's just, if someone has to be at the bottom, it's gonna be you. Because look at all the ones that are above. EXO's music lives forever. And you can take the girl out of the Saranghaja, but you can't take the Saranghaja out of the girl. <laughs> so, I love you, EXO. You're always gonna be number one to me, even if it takes you another, I don't know, three years to make a comeback. I don't know. I don't even care. I- I'm still gonna be here. So if you thought the EXO segment was the main event, no, it's not, guys. The main event is Rise. Okay, so let me go through the timeline of events of what happened to me since October, okay? It, it's It's been wild. So Rise is the new uh, boy group of SM Entertainment seven years after they started the whole NCT brand. And, you know, the big question is like, why? Why why debut a new group completely out of NCT? Why take Songchan and Shotaro, who previously debuted in NCTU, instead of putting them in a permanent group in NCT, why take them out and debut them in Rise? You know, what are they bringing that they couldn't have brought within the Neo brand? And me personally, I'm not an N citizen. Like, I think at the start, I was kind of keeping up with them. But then I think after NCT 2018, I was kind of out of it already. I have my biases. I check out the titles. So although, yeah, I was intrigued at the thought that they were debuting a completely new group that's permanent. I also wasn't really trying to check it out. Like, as I told you, I've been a K-pop casual for many years now. I mostly paid attention to girl groups. I I really wasn't looking for a new boy group to stand. They came out with Siren. They came out with Memories. I listened to Memories. I watched the MV. I liked it, right? Uh, I like 5th gen boy groups. I think the trifecta of 5th gen boy group debuts, you know, with Rise and uh, Zero Waste One in Bloom, Boy Next Door One and Only. I think all three of them restored my faith in boy groups because I really didn't like 4th gen. I think 4th gen to me was only girl groups. I did not listen to any boy groups. My point is, I like brighter, more youthful concepts. I don't really like, you know, the loud, (laughs) strong concepts that were very popular in 4th gen. So, yeah, Rise was okay. They were okay. And then they came out with Get a Guitar. I'm like, ah, okay. Justin Timberlake can't fight the feeling corporate pop. (laughs) I was making fun of it. But honestly, like, okay, it's catchy. It's fine. And then, you know, I started watching the fan cams. And I was starting to feel out, like, who's who. And, okay, you always remember your first fan cam. The first one you fell for. For me, it's uh, Sohi in Memories, SBS Inkigayo. Their debut stage there. I don't know. There was just something about him that reminded me of 
and and don't laugh when I say this. He reminded me of Gio from Twice. <laughs> I think instantly I clocked that he's the main vocal. I really like the stage presence of someone who obviously loves being on stage. Like more than anything else, they just want to sing, they just want to dance, they just want to perform. That's it. And immediately I got that from Sohi. And I knew like, oh, okay, if he's the main vocal, he's my kid. My kid? Oh my god, they're all younger than me, guys. I, I can't deal with that. So yeah, okay. First, I clocked Sohi, but for some strange reason, Hong Sung Han got my attention for, for some weird reason. And of course, I know exactly which fan cam it is. It's uh, Get a Guitar M Countdown debut stage. And like, I don't know, there's just something about this guy and the way he like interacts with other members while they're performing. It's like, mm, okay, I see it, I see it. And then the turning point, I have the exact date, October 8th, the day that they released the recording behind the scenes of Memories. And when I heard their raw vocals, I just like, I couldn't shut up about them. Like on my K-Drama account, I couldn't shut up about them. And at that point, I knew, oh no. Oh no, they got me again. Nagpabudol na naman ako sa SM. I allowed myself to fall for yet another SM group, knowing that they are as blessed as they are cursed. And by God, I did not know how cursed it was going to be. Because I started out so he biased. And then Sunghan was like a close second. Like I was I was repressing it, man. But eventually he just shot up right there, right beside Sohi. I like everyone. As I was watching the documentary, they just have really good group chemistry and I don't know how to explain that and I know you know K-pop groups they sell the image that they're all best friends or whatever but I think you can tell when it's fake and I think you can tell when a bunch of people actually get along and we're kind of yeah in the latter not the former they are perfect as seven it's a perfect seven member group and although they're doing their very best as six members right now we know what they look like and how they perform as seven and we know that that is what they're meant to be <gasps> I, do, I was really hesitating on like talking about this directly but we're here anyway so if you didn't know Song Han was put on indefinite hiatus because of a series of like privacy leaks from his old Instagram from supposed friends of his yeah who recorded some of his old IG lives and, and pictures and videos and, and sold it to a famous account known for exposing quote-unquote idols you know by buying information from people in their lives and really the only pictures and videos that came out are of him smoking and having a girlfriend okay let's clarify that if you hear any other rumors about him it's really just yeah smoking having a girlfriend that's it and that all happened pre-debut Mind you, this kid just turned 20 last October, okay? Just, just, let's just keep all of those things in our minds while we're, we're thinking about this situation and this indefinite hiatus. And last November 22, just to stop the rumors and, and stop the hate, they, they put him on indefinite hiatus. And that's right before, you know, the year-end stages and receiving rookie awards, you know? What a crucial time in an idol's life as a rookie. He's missing out on all of that because people were hating on him, yeah, for having a girlfriend and smoking. And allow me to add, being a victim of his privacy getting invaded. These issues are non-issues in the first place, but they became issues because someone leaked his previous photos. Like, he is the victim in this situation. Because smoking, having a girlfriend, they're not crimes. But leaking pictures and videos of someone without their consent, that is a crime. And here's the thing. Okay, let's let's acknowledge the reality that yeah, idols are put on a pedestal and it, it's part of their job to maintain their image, yada yada. Okay, yeah, let's let's not deny that that 
is the reality, even if it's ridiculous at times. And this is one of those cases. But okay, no, 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 it is what it is. That's the world we live in. However, we really have to look at what he's done and weigh, I don't know, the severity of his transgressions against his image as an idol. And and this is not on the same level as bullying or sexual harassment or beating people up or anything, anything really. It's, it's just so normal and it's so hypocritical that he's getting so much hate for it and, you know, has to be put on hiatus just to stop people from coming after him. And you know what? Even if he's on hiatus, K-Nets in particular still come after him. Meanwhile, we, the fans, who actually, you know, spend money on these idols are shelling out so much for protest trucks and billboards and bus stop ads. I mean, he's on Times Square, man. People have bought several ads in Times Square just to show support for him. Like, the money that could have gone to SM is going to protest trucks and ads just to show that if you bring him back, there will be people spending that money on him and on the group. Every day, every day in Riceville is is that meme of the the up and down graph of oh we're so back, it's over, we're back, we're back, it's so over, bros. Every day is just a roller coaster. And honestly, I <laughs> I was looking for an emotional support K-pop group, and instead I got an emotional damage K-pop group. But <laughs> but I love them, guys. I'm gonna admit it. I have contributed to a protest rock. I have also bought a photo card. <laughs> I bought a photo card, guys. I bought it for like one three. Yeah. And I, I swear I will declare this to the public <laughs> to hold myself accountable. That is the first and last photo card I will ever buy outside of whatever is included in albums. I swear I'm not gonna be a photo card collector. Okay? J- just so you know, it's Songhan in the Talk Sexy comeback stage from Music Core in the black zipper top. Like, just so you know that it, to me, that, that photo card is worth what I paid for it. But never again. I promise. Never again. Anyway, after exposing myself like that, I really can't put into words why I got into Rise so deeply and so quickly. Like, throughout this whole Songhan fiasco, I mean, every other day I'm thinking, should I just unstand while it's early? Should I just let them go? Should I just put this behind me? Like, I I can only see pain in the future. Once again, I was here for emotional support, not emotional damage. But then, I remember watching their mama stage when they performed Rising Sun with TVXQ. And I just thought, this is it. Like, this is the group. This is what I've been waiting for all these years. Where you can see how talented they are as individuals and how when they come together, it is even better. I like their music so much. I thought Siren was so powerful. I love Memories. Like Memories is my favorite song. Unfortunately, my number one song on Spotify this year is Talk Saxy. Because I, you know, I streamed it. <laughs> but if if we were genuinely ranking it, I'd say Memories, Get a Guitar, Siren, then Talk Saxy is my least favorite. And they even have these like OST songs for a children's cartoon that are honestly fire. Like you should listen to the Sea Look songs. I'm not even kidding. I like all their music. And it's not a lot, but I just have hope for them. I have so much hope for their future. And I just, I want Songhan to be there. You know, I want him to be part of their future because they really are so much better together. Anyway, I want to talk about my biases because 
<laughs> because I can and I want to. And okay, I think I've talked about Songhan enough. Just so you know, he's a honestly, I I I'm just amazed by him every time he performs. The way he dances is so sharp, so powerful, so light on his feet. Oh, come back. I can't live with only, you know, 89 days worth of of his content, of his fan camps and interviews. Like, I can't, I can't. Anyway, remember that I have another bias. Remember that I double biased for maybe the first time in my life. So I adore Isohi so much with all my heart. Like, as I mentioned, he reminds me of Gio from Twice in that when you see them on stage, you know that they love what they do. And like, what I admire the most about Sohi, what I love about him and why I am so sure that he will get so far in the future as an idol, as a singer, as a performer, I know he will go so far because he loves to sing. He loves music. Like, I'm not here to judge other idols and the reasons why they get into this business, but Sohi is here because he loves to sing. And I know for a fact that just with that, he will get so, so far. So his story is that he started vocal academies, like pre-debut, and he has lots of pre-debut videos, and he really has like such a lovely, light, bright, pure voice. And at first, I was a little disappointed that Rice didn't have a power vocal, you know, the way Baekhyun, Chen, uh, Teil, Doyong, Kyuyun, the typical SM power vocals. If you listen to Rise's songs, they don't need a power vocal like those other singers. They need someone with the vocal color that really feels like the signature of the group. And, and so he is that signature. Like he was a good singer before he came into SM. And in a year and a half from basically zero dancing, he's now a member who can keep up with monsters like Shotaro and Sunghan and Wonbin. And I think when I watch him dance... You know how sometimes you can tell that people are, you know, they're just counting the beats. They're just going through the motions that have been taught to them. But when I see Sohi dance, I, I, I feel him. I see him listening to the music and expressing the music through his body. I don't know how to explain that. I think the term might be musicality, but I, I will not use dancer terms that I don't understand. So if that's what musicality means, then I see that in him. He has such a natural sense of rhythm that you wouldn't know that he only has danced for a year and a half. And in terms of live singing, he he has a lot of work to do. Like He sounds good, but sometimes he's a little too tense. Sometimes he squeezes his throat too much. Like The technique is not as uh, classical as yeah the other SM power vocalists that I've mentioned before. But I know for a fact that he will just get better and better because he's not afraid to sing. Like, I remember in their 100th day fan meet that they sang Toxaxi fully live for the first time. All of their music show stages, don't listen to anyone when they say that, oh, that was live. No, it was the typical AR where their mics are like barely on, okay? Their fan meet was the first time they really sang live. And you could hear Sohi sing every ad lib. And you could hear his voice crack. And you can hear him be out of breath. But you can also hear him sing every line, every ad lib, and actually try. Instead of, you know, getting embarrassed and stopping and not singing anymore. I think that's so admirable. In an industry that prioritizes perfection, so much so that, you know, idols are now afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to sing. They have to look perfect. They feel like it is more important to be perfect so that they're not criticized instead of really improving their skills and showing off what they've trained so hard to, to be able to do. In an industry like that, someone who loves music and loves to sing and is willing to try and try and improve, he's a gem. He's a star, okay? So he's a star. And I'm just, 
I'm so happy to be here at the start of his journey and watch him grow. Okay, that's uh, I, I I love I love him a lot. That's why I'm telling you, like I cannot choose between my my Songhan or my Sohi bias. Like Songhan needs more support at this moment, but also like my love and adoration for Sohi is also so strong. Also, can I just say, let me put this out there, okay? Let me manifest this into the universe. Everyone's saying actor line is gonna be, you know, Unsok or Songchan or Wonbin. <laughs> it's not gonna be Wonbin, guys. I'm telling you, it's not Wonbin. But I'm telling you, Sohi, within five years or something, actor Sohi. I mean, I can see musical theater for him. He'll he'll do great in that. He has an R&B voice. He also has a ballad voice. He has a Disney Prince voice. He's very, very versatile in that way. But let me let me claim this. Let me manifest this and put it out into the universe. I think Chung Murasohi. I think Sohi's gonna be the film actor of Rise. Okay? Let me manifest that for him. I just, I feel it. I have watched so many K dramas. I know an actor when I see one. Sohi's an actor. <laughs> so, yeah. If you saw that picture of uh, Sohi with Beiduna in the W Korea event earlier this month, yeah, that's that's gonna be his circle. Those, those actors, those veterans. They're all gonna see Sohi as their little darling son. Okay, I'm gonna claim it for my boy. That's it. <laughs> That's my crazy manifestation for Sohi. After Sohi, I believe in you. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I I love I love Rise. Um, they are the breath of fresh air that I think I needed as someone who's been very dissatisfied with boy groups for the past generation. And they're making a comeback on January five. So yeah, I'm. It's gonna hurt that. Songhan isn't there, but hey, maybe this is the first and only time he won't be there. Maybe he'll be back next time. And guys, guys, can I just say, if you have any concern for me, like me, Francine, as a person, if you care about me even just a little bit, you would want Songhan to come back. Okay, just I'm just saying, for my sake, you would root for him to come back. Because I really don't know how I'll react if I get any bad news about him. Okay, that's it. Anyway, I love you, Rise. You know, I found EXO in 2013 and I'm still there for them in 2023. I found Rise in 2023. Who knows if I'll still be there for them in 2033. But I sure, I sure hope so. And I, I can't wait to see how far they go together. A seven. I love you, Rise. I love you, EXO. So that's it for me today. Uh, if you came here straight from the K-drama part and skipped all of the K-pop, don't worry, you didn't miss anything fun. That was nothing. Like you see that huge uh, gap <laughs> that you didn't listen to? Nothing happened there. Don't worry about it. And if you actually listen to the K-pop part, hi, this is my real self. <laughs> and also, let me future-proof this by saying that, you know, if anything comes out, that yeah, Songhan did something that really deserves the backlash and is unacceptable, then, well, I guess it is what it is. I won't be defending someone that's not worth defending, but in this situation, he's the victim. And once again, if you have any concern for me, you will want Songhan to come back. And that's, that's it. That's the end of K-pop talk on this podcast. But if even one person encourages me to talk about K-pop more, oh boy, don't, don't even, don't, don't encourage me. So that's it for our Q4 recap. Not great. 
And this year has, in general, not been the best K-drama watching year. But we're doing all the big reflections on 2023 as a K-drama year in next week or next year's awarding ceremony. And I'm also saving my top 10 so far for the year-end awards next week. And yeah, that's it for today's episode. I hope some of you enjoyed all of that. <laughs> Once again, I'm not gonna make K-pop talk a regular thing here because, uh, you know, as you can see, I am even more unhinged than usual. But anyway, for the comment box below, um, one, any 2023 workplace dramas with no romance? Yeah, similar to Hot Stove League, On the Verge of Insanity, Missing. You know, my usual kind of workplace slice of life stuff. I, I miss my genre, my home. Two, is there anything in 2023 that you think I really missed out on and I should have tried? I mean, I only watched uh, 17 ongoing dramas, so I'm sure I missed out on a lot that aired this year. And three, K-pop talk? Yes or no? Sometimes, maybe? <laughs> or only if I'm gonna be chill and it's not gonna be like today? I'm, I'm open to any suggestions <laughs> if there is a, a K-pop audience among you guys. But yeah, that's it for me today. That's it for 2023. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon.